Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Well, hi. How y'all doing? Hey, man, I get it. No, I get it. Listen, y'all came here this morning excited, looking forward to hearing and seeing Batman. And Robin shows up driving a rental. Not even a cool rental either. It's like some soccer mom's rental that smells bad. You know what I'm talking about? But listen, let me tell you how it happened. Bill called me this last Thursday morning and um, he said, um, could you come in and kick off the series New Normal so that I can take this weekend and just stay focused and minister to my family? And I said, absolutely. Changed a few things around, started making travel arrangements and uh, uh, to be able to get here early Saturday morning uh, to be able to bring this message. First thing I did when I said absolutely, I said, God help me. And then I reached over on my desk and I picked up a stack of notes. Now I could have picked up any stack of notes, but this is the one I picked up. I sent them to Rob and, and uh, Lindsay and Bill and, and um, then we showed up last night and something happened. Uh, something I didn't think was gonna happen. Matter of fact, the first service this morning took on a different atmosphere than I thought was gonna take place. Not what I planned. So, so here's my question for you. Is it possible that maybe when I picked these notes up, it became a, a divine assignment? And is it also possible, because this was not planned, that you being in this service is your divine appointment? For what? For change. Change what? to change everything about your situation. So what I wanna ask you to do this morning is to allow me to teach you, not from a preachy-teachy standpoint, and we won't be here very long because I think that a long Sunday morning sermon uh, is very closely resembles a hostage situation. <laughs> so I'm going to give you this material, I'm just, and I don't know how far I'll get through it, but I want you to just allow the Holy Spirit to maybe do something a little different, maybe something even unexpected, okay? So let me pray for you. Father, we love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And Father, I wanna ask today, please, that you would use me. As a matter of fact, if you would just get me completely out of the way, forgive me of my sins, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and let me be your mouthpiece today, that'd be good. And then Father, I pray that you would allow these people in this room, give me favor with them. Allow them to trust me and even be vulnerable that they would know that this is the safest room they could ever go to. And I ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Well, there's lots of different teaching styles and one that I like to use the most is one called a workshop format. Workshop format teaching is not preachy-teachy, it's just me giving you information. And it's a little bit more participation. 
So it's participatory. So I'm gonna give you information. We'll kind of you know, go through it together and, and we do things together in this format. Now, so here's the first thing I want you to do. I want you to look at the person sitting beside you and tell them you are in a workshop. Go ahead, tell them. And keep going. And the person we are working on is, keep going, keep going, you. There you go. There was a Texas rancher, older guy that drove his brand new pickup truck up in front of a bank in New York City. He walks inside and he asks for a loan officer and then he tells the loan officer, he says, I'd like to borrow $5,000 from your bank. I gotta go on a trip, be gone for a week and I'll come back, I'll pay you back. The loan officer says, we don't know you and if we're to give you $5,000, we could probably do that, but I would need a tremendous amount of collateral to do that for you for a week. And the guy produced the keys to his brand new pickup truck that was parked outside and a clear title of the truck being paid for. The banker took a look at that $60,000 brand new truck and said, sure. Handed this Texas uh, rancher $5,000. The rancher got into a taxi, took off to the airport. The banker pitched the keys over to another employee and said, pull the truck down into the bank's parking garage, parking in the employee parking area. So he did that. Then the banker said, that man's not very smart. That guy from Texas, that rancher, I mean, he's, he, he came in here to borrow $5,000 to be able to go on a one-week trip and put up for collateral a $60,000 truck. He's Southern, he's country. He doesn't really have it together. He doesn't know how to handle his money. Week later, the guy comes back, gets out of a taxi cab, walks into the bank, lays down $5,000 in front of that same loan officer. And then the loan officer said the interest for a week on that money would be $11.83. He reaches in his pocket, pulls out $11.83. The banker asks for another employee to pull his truck out of the parking garage back out front. He hands the rancher back a, his, his uh, uh, title to the truck and he says, you know, thank you. And the rancher gets up, starts to walk away. And the banker says, before you leave, sir, can I ask you a question? We did a little background check on you while you were gone. We found out that you own several thousand acres of land outside of Fort Worth, Texas. And your net worth is in the millions. Why in the world would you need to borrow $5,000 from this bank to go on a trip? And the rancher said, son, I didn't need to borrow $5,000 from your bank. But you tell me where in New York City can I park my truck for a week and it'd be perfectly safe for $11.83. Things aren't always as they look sometimes, are they? And have you ever noticed the same thing about people? That what is going on in a person's life is not always as it appears on the outside? The people can look perfectly normal. I mean, your hair done, your makeup on, you dress nice, and, but then if you look a little bit deeper than this inside their exterior appearance, there's pain, there's difficulty, there's loss. There's dreams that were once on the table that aren't on the table anymore. There's seasons of life that passed you and you think now I can't have that season back again. There's relationships that were broken. Betrayal, promises made. And now all of a sudden, because promises were broken, a heart has put up a wall to where you can't get in it anymore. And it's not that the opportunities wouldn't be there for that person, it's just that their demeanor is so bitter, they stiff arm anybody that would wanna get close. 
Now you'd never know this by looking at the outside, but if you'll just go a little deeper in the lives of people, you'll find out that everybody is dealing with some kind of pain, heartache, brokenness, despair going on in their life. This story that you're about to hear this morning is one that I believe is gonna make a difference and cause you to be able to break free from a life that's been stolen from you. Little backstory to this story, we're gonna be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 30 here in a minute, but this is a story about David. In this story, you see David and all of his fighting men and all of their family in a town by the name of Ziglag. They're outside of the Philistine area, which was an enemy of David and the Israelite army. David was gonna be the second king, he was already anointed to be so, but it wasn't yet his time. So Saul was the king, Saul was after David, David's hiding from Saul, so Saul, so David doesn't mess up with his God, where God said, don't touch Saul, timing's not right, be patient. Well, David in the town of Ziglag with all these fierce fighting men and all of their families decides one day that he is going to go and join the Philistine army to fight against Saul and the Israelites. Well, I don't know what David was thinking because God told him not to do that. I don't know if it was just testosterone filled. I don't know if he was just bored and thought this would be a fun thing to do, but he does this without consulting God. When he gets to the Philistine general, they turn him down. They said, we don't know you, we don't trust you, we've heard about you, how do we know you're not in the middle of the battle going to jump on their side and fight with the Israelites against us? Go home, this is not your fight. So David goes back home to Ziglag and this is what he finds in chapter 30. Three days later when David and his men arrived home at the town of Ziglag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziglag. They had crushed Ziglag, burned it to the ground, and they carried off the women and the children, everyone else, without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they couldn't weep anymore. And David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and their daughters, and they began to talk about stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God, And then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. I need to inform some and to remind others that our God is a God of recovery. I'm simply trying to articulate to you that your heavenly father is invested into you. He is committed to you. And any time the enemy has taken away something that belonged to you, the life that you should have had, the dreams that should have come to pass, where you should be in this season or stage of your life, he is committed to with you getting it back, recovering it. It would be like you being a kid in middle school and you come home one day and you're crying and your daddy says, what are you crying about? And you say, that bully down the street took all of my this week's lunch money. And your father puts his arm around your shoulder and he looks you right in the eye and he says, let's go get it back. Having a God of recovery is not a luxury. It is an absolute necessity because Jesus says that you are up against an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. 
to take away the happiness that you used to have, to take away the joy out of your life. You used to laugh more than you laugh right now. Your personality and temperament has changed. You're not the person you used to be because the enemy has stolen something from you that was so precious that even made up the person that God created you to be. And if you have been knocked down and if you have been seeing, had the enemy take things from you, you can't stay down. You are too valuable to sit on the sideline. You are too valuable to stay down. There are people that are depending on you and you must get back up from whatever the pain is that you're feeling and you must recover. And in this story, we see God giving us several ways for us to be able to recover that which has been taken out of our life. And here's the first way, engage into weeping. Engage into weeping. Now some of you might say, well, Pastor, I'm not one of those kind of guys that cries a lot, you know, I rarely cry. And you know, listen, I, I don't wanna hear that. Because what happens when a person is hurt very deeply is that they wanna, some people that, some people wanna say, well, this didn't matter that much. Or they put a wall up in front of their heart and say, you know, I'm, I, I can deal with this. They didn't, that person didn't hurt me. I don't care what they said, I don't care what they did, I don't care that they left my life. I'll get over it, I'm fine. But there are some things that are so devastating in your life that the first thing that you need to do is just weep. These were fierce fighting men. You didn't mess with David and you did not mess with his army. And the Bible says that they wept and the kill they could weep no more. Because that weeping and that grief is an admitting of pain that is happening. And notice with me here behind me, God will not fix pain, that your pride will not let you admit that you're feeling. Uh, how many of you are uh, single adults? Would you raise your hand if you're a single adult? Raise your hand. Man, get, get it up there high, be proud. I'm a single adult, man. Some of you ought to be standing up with both hands in the air and a foot. You know what I mean? Notice, single adult right here. I love the single adults of our church. We have a lot of wounded singles in our church. Their hearts have been broken, they've been devastated. They had one marriage, maybe two, and they're just, they're just a unique group of individuals. To live a Christian single adult life in this culture, oh God, help them, help you. And I love them, I really do. I love our single adults and I mess with them all the time. And, and I love to do, and this is one of the services, the many services that I provide as one of the pastors of Fellowship Church in Grand Junction, Colorado, I am a matchmaker for single Christian adults. And there are times, and, and the reason why I do it is because I love to get all up in their business. And, and, and when they're walking around the church, and I mean, we got like 150 single men, we got like two, 300 single women in our church. And, 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 and I always hear the single women, there's no, there's no men in our church. Uh, girl, you, you got a wall built up so high in front of your heart that it is blocking your eyesight. Because there's 150 of them sitting around in here. And the men will say to me too, they'll say, they're no single, they're no way, I can't find a woman in church. I gotta look for her. I gotta, I gotta go to, go to match.com. Or I gotta go to, I gotta go to farmersonly.com. <laughs> really? Is that where you're gonna go? You got 40 single women sitting around you worshiping your heavenly father. You going to farmers only? You kidding me, Jack? And so they'll tell me this and I'll, I'll mess with them. So, 
And for 30 years I've done this, I have played matchmaker with a single adult smart chair. Now I gotta be in the mood for this, I can't do it every Sunday. But in a live Sunday morning service, sometimes in the past now, in the, the song would kick on matchmaker. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a man. And that would play, and, 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 the, and, the, and the, the single adults would cringe. They're like, oh no, he's not gonna, no, he's not gonna. And I said, oh, I need all the single men in the church to stand up. And this is a live Sunday morning service. And they would stand up. And, and, and they're like looking at me like, and then I'd say, all oh, you single women in the church, you stand up. And all single women stand up. And they're like, oh, you know, so mad at me. And then I would say, I'd pick one out. I'd go, oh, sir, what's your name? He'd go, Tom. All right, Tom. Okay, cool, Tom. Hey, hey, what's your name? Julie. My name's Julie. Okay, everybody else sit down. I said, Tom, Julie, Julie, Tom. Julie, Tom, Tom, Julie. <laughs> Julie, what do you do? I'm studying to be an RN. She's going to be a nurse, Tom, a nurse. What do you do? I work in the oil field. You drive a really nice truck, don't you? He drives a really nice truck. And then I'd say, Julie, come here. Tom, come here. And they'd come down in front of the church. Now the church is roaring. The church is like, this is crazy. This is funny. They're looking at me like, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. And I, was, I pull out an envelope. And I see in this envelope is dinner. It's $50, a gift certificate, 100 bucks for a nice dinner, whatever. Do you, know, do you know Tom? No, no. Tom, do you know her? No. So you guys don't know each other? No. Tom, you're not like a serial killer, are you? No. Okay, good. <laughs> and that's about as much background check as I do. You, you don't have that much when you go online. So I got that going. Now, now people, the, people the, the, the singles will do this because they think I'm getting some kind of spiritual connection from God to connect them, and I'm not. My only criteria in matchmaking is will you two look good in a cute couple selfie? Click. That's all I'm going for. I'm not going for anything deep. <laughs> they will. And then I'll say this, I'll say, okay, uh, you guys go out, you have a date, talk to each other, get to know each other, all right? Julie, here is my email address. So when you get through with the date, you email me how this date went, and I'll share it with the church. The church is all into it, they're all embarrassed, and they're into it, and, and they go out, and, and, and I have done this for 30 years, I have done this. And then, and then, now, see, the, the single adults want to act like, stay out of my business, don't play matchmaker with me, right? But secretly, let me tell you what happened. When I made Tom stand up, every single adult in the church who did not know Tom now knows Tom. And the guys start walking around Tom going, God, I believe Pastor Hooper did that to you, man. That's crazy. How'd that work out, man? What was that all about? And, all, and people go up to Julie and say, Julie, that was you. Man, he embarrassed you so bad. What, what was Tom like? You hanging on to him or you dropping him? <laughs> it makes a big room feel smaller. Right? And then, then so, so Julie, and I've done this over the years and I've gotten emails back from the people that I've done it with and Julie wrote me back. It's so sweet, I love it. She goes, Pastor Hooper, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> right? But a couple of times in the lobby, I've had women walk up to me and they said, I'm done with men. I hate them all. And I'm like, what? That, I dated this guy, Bill Jerk. Last person I had cheated on me. So you hate every man on the planet? I hate every man on the planet, I don't need your man. And I'm like, sis, there's 3.5 billion men on the planet. 
you can't hate them all. I do, I hate them, I don't need one. Well, that's not true. Because every man desires to be some woman's hero and every woman I know desires to be some man's everything. So you don't hate them, you're hurt. You're feeling pain, feeling disappointment. And by the way, God put a whole bunch of red signs, a whole bunch of caution signs in front of you going out with that individual and you went out with him anyway because you were lonely and you got hurt, that's not his fault. So instead of saying you're not, you don't want another man, saying you're all done with men and you don't feel pain, why don't you just admit, God, I got really hurt by that. But I don't wanna be alone. And I want a Tim Tebow kind of man who looks good and is wealthy to take care of me. <laughs> just get real with it, get real with it, amen. Get real, get real, get real with it. And then after telling that woman, I said, listen, that's not how you really feel. You need to deal with how you feel. Stop putting up this stuff. Weep when you need to weep. A couple of months later, same woman caught me in the lobby and she goes, hey, pastor, yeah. Said, Shh, pastor, yeah. Who's that guy over there in the middle of the lobby? And I'm like, don't, she's like, don't look, don't look. I'm like, I gotta look, I gotta, I gotta look. She's like a middle schooler, she's 40 something. <laughs> and she's back because she spent some time engaged in weeping. That leads me to the second thing I see here. Accept the reality for what has happened. I mean, this situation was bad. What if David would have right in front of all of his men? What if David would have, you know, kind of, everybody's gone, family's gone. What if David would have walked around, uh, I don't believe it, don't claim it, don't receive it. I thought you lost your mind. It has happened and it's bad. And it doesn't mean you can't do something about it, but it is bad in the moment. Accept the reality of what has happened. Sometimes you gotta do that with family members or friends or relationships before those things can begin to change and be healed. That this person is not who I thought this person was and they may never be who I thought they were. Because family doesn't always act like family. And friends don't always act like friends. But the reality is, the reality is bad in the moment. Then you align your expectations. And sometimes you gotta realign your expectations. I think this is interesting and it, we need to talk about it in a minute. David went on to fight with the very men who wanted to kill him a few minutes earlier. Slowly and painfully. And he's gonna fight alongside of them. And you know how he could do that? Because he realigned his expectations concerning those men. He had taken people and men that God had meant for him to fight with and he tried to turn them into friends. And God meant for those men to cause him to fight forward, not to become part of his intimate circle. And this is what a lot of people do. And this is why they get hurt. God puts somebody in your life for a purpose and you think they're a friend and you're bringing them in close and all of a sudden they hurt you. That's not God's fault. He didn't tell you to bring that person into your life the way he brought them into your life. They were in your life for a purpose he wanted to accomplish. You're the one out of vulnerability or loneliness pulled them in and tried to make them something that they were never supposed to be to you. And they weren't. So David says, okay, I've got this whole perspective thing going on. I've realigned my expectation. 
I will fight forward with you to accomplish something, but you will not be in my close circle. So the next thing David did is he sought the Savior for strength. The Bible says he went to the Lord. He, he helped himself by just going to the Lord. And anytime you get into a place where you just don't know how you're going to get out of it, he's got to be the one you turn to. I think one of the reasons why God let David's men all turn on him was so that David would not look to his men for his answer, but would look back to his God only for his answer. And this led to him reclaiming his confidence. He reclaimed his confidence. See, nothing's gonna take your confidence like a big life failure that plays out right in front of all the people that you care about what they think. That'll wreck your confidence. And here David was sitting in a pile, weeping, men turned against him. Confidence wrecked. Men didn't know what to do, David didn't know what to do. And then David asked his God one question. He said this, he said, God, shall I go after them? Will I recover? And God said, if you pursue, you will recover all. <laughs> if you pursue. Could God not have made that enemy drop dead in their shoes? And the wives and the kids gather up everything that they took and bring it back home? Could he not have done that? Are you saying that, Hooper, that if those men who were tired, who were exhausted, who were devastated, because they weren't weeping just over the loss of a family, they were weeping over the loss of a dream and a future. And are you saying that those men would have never got their family and the kids back had they not gone after them? That is exactly what I'm saying. For God said, I know what I put in you and I know how you feel right now and I know the heart that has been taken out of you. But if this will just be your getting back up place, you can have it all back. And if you read the story, they got back more than what was taken. I uh, was asked to be a part of a jury, got a jury summons a couple of months ago. Any, any of y'all get a jury summons? If y'all, how many of y'all ever got a jury summons? Okay, do you ever get on the jury? How many of you ever get on the, I never get to get on it. And I think the defense attorney thinks that, you know, I'm gonna be too hard on their client. And the DA thinks since I'm a pastor, because they know exactly who you are, the DA thinks since I'm a pastor, I'm gonna be too soft on that individual. So, so normally I get in there to find out I'm a pastor and I was in there for this last one and it had to do with, and it's gonna shock y'all in, in Colorado, but this had to do with somebody driving under the influence of marijuana. <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? I mean, me too, I was just shocked, no way. And, and anyway, the defense attorney was questioning thus. They called us up, you know, and they're questioning to see if they're gonna keep us. And they never keep me. And so and the question was, you know, she asked the question, or, you know, Mr. Hooper, I see here, you're a pastor here in the city. And she didn't talk like that. I don't know why I'm doing that. But anyway, she said, <laughs> she said, uh, she said uh, 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 you want me to call you Pastor Hooper or you want me to call me Mr. Hooper? And I, and I said, I, I don't really don't care. And she goes, okay, Mr. Hooper. 
like just like that. And she decided right off the bat that she was not gonna like me. And I decided right off the bat, I wasn't gonna lose sleep over it. <laughs> so she begins to say that there will be two police officers who are brought into the courtroom. They're gonna testify this person was driving recklessly. But there was no other witnesses to it because it was in the middle of the night. And you can't trust police officers or what they say. This country doesn't seem police officers as being an admirable position right now and they're not to be trusted. And does anybody in this courtroom disagree with what I'm saying? I looked around, nobody's hand went up. I went, <laughs> And a Christian medical doctor raised her hand right beside me and then a Christian paramedic, first responder, was over here goes to our church. He raised his hand too because they, they work with police officers. And I have police officers in my family and police officers go to our, our, our church. And, and anyway, she says, so when they come in here, uh, you know, the, will, will that affect you? Will that affect you? And because uh, and, and they can't be trusted. And, and, and then when I met, my hand went up, she focused on me, she went, Mr. Hooper, do you disagree with what I am saying? And she, again, she didn't talk like that, but I, I can't do her voice. So I said this, I said, uh, I said uh, uh, yeah, I absolutely disagree. Because I said, you want me to assume that your client is innocent until he is proven guilty. Now the truth of the matter is he was guilty of sin. You can look at him and tell he did guilty of sin. <laughs> that might be why I never get on the jury, because I, but anyway, so I'm thinking this, but I said that. I said, you, might, you, might, you, might, you want me to assume that your client is innocent until proven guilty. And at the same time, I think we should assume that police officers are honest and trustworthy until they prove themselves not to be. Well, yeah, back the blue, baby, back the blue. So anyway, I was the first one to be kicked off. <laughs> but here's my point I'm trying to say. I did not go to that room that day, regardless of whether or not I was a minority or majority, to have some defense attorney tell me who I am. I already know who I am. I meet with God every morning, I have coffee with him, I read one of the Psalms, I read one of the Proverbs, every day of my life, so that he can define who I am, or if I'm having a rough time, he can redefine who I am. But nobody else on this planet gets that privilege because nobody else created me but my heavenly Father. He defines my role. He puts the confidence in me. He causes me to walk into rooms differently. She said this at one point. She said, she asked a question, I gave an opinion. And she said, does anybody else in the room agree with Mr. Hooper's opinion? And she said, I can see nobody else in the room agrees with Mr. Hooper's opinion that quick. And I thought, you know, I'm perfectly okay with being the only one in the room that's right. <laughs> you don't know who you are in God? Everybody else around you is gonna tell you. And they're gonna be wrong. Because many of you sitting in this room right now think that you can't have the life that you've always wanted. That what you've gone through or your age in life has made it too late. Or decisions you've made broke something. And now you settle. And your God is a God of recovery. But you've got to get back up. And when you do, you are so valuable that you will change everybody, everybody who's around you. Would you all stand with me?
Would you bow your heads for a minute? Would you be vulnerable enough to be honest? Have you had your heart broken? Have you gone through a devastation? Y'all sure look good, but are you really good right behind your eyes? Has your joy diminished? Has your happiness been beat down? Have the dreams that you've had for your marriage, your relationship, your future been put on hold because of some loss in your life? If anything I'm saying is true, are you have felt a hole in your heart or in your soul in any other area because of a loss of a job, a betrayal, because of a loss of finances, because of loneliness that has set in, because of mistakes that you've made or life has dealt you or the enemy has, would you raise your hand all over the house, please? Would you slip them up? Now, I told you that this is a workshop format, so I'm asking you, if you would, to just look at me for a minute, all of you, and every one of you that just raised your hand, come down front and let me pray for you right now. Come on, just come on. This is, you keep it real in here. This is the safest room you'll ever be in in your life. Keep it real. And come down, just get as close as you can, close as you can. This move to the front today is a symbol of you saying this. This is my getting back up moment. I will not sit in a dead place any longer. I am too valuable to waste any more time living off something that the enemy has taken away from me. My dreams come back on the table. God's plan for my life. The enemy can't have it anymore and he's had it long enough. The life God wants me to live, the life I've always wanted since I was a little girl or a little boy, that life. I have one more statement I think I gave you back in the back, if you would throw it up on the, on the screen behind me. Entrances into new seasons must be preceded by exits out of old ones. Father God, for every man and every woman that is in this room, I ask in the name of Jesus and the power of your name that you would recover what has been taken from them. You would give them back their joy, their laughter, their sense of fun and happiness, their optimism when it comes to the future. God, their confidence of who they are in you and no one else gets to define that and make their dreams come true. And Father, Daddy, God, come against anything that would come against them and give them back everything the enemy's taken from them and a whole lot more. That from this day forward, that getting up moment, <laughs> the rest of their life, I know it sounds funny, but it would be the best of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, give the Lord a hand, won't you? I love y'all. Y'all are the sweet, sweet, sweet people. Love you. Bye-bye. I'll be out in the lobby shaking hands. I'll see y'all in a minute. 
Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.